pray before we get into this text this morning. Our Father, we come to you with souls that are parched, that have great need uh, for life. And your word is life. In fact, everything we see in this world, our own, our own bodies are, are the result of your word being spoken and things coming to life as a result. And, and we believe that your written word has power as well. We pray that you would, by your spirit, unleash it in our midst this morning as we consider your word and as we consider the word made flesh, Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So C.S. Lewis has made, he's made a lot of perceptive points, but one in particular I think really captures something. Uh, in his a little slim book called The Abolition of Man, he's talking about education, and he says that ancient people thought of education like this, that the purpose of it was to conform the individual to the world, to, 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 the, to, the, to reality, that there is kind of a dance of the universe, and the purpose of education was to get the student to kind of live in step with the dance of the universe. He said, but the purpose of modern education gets that backwards. It says the purpose of modern education is to get the student, teach the student how to control, how to submit the world around him or her to their wills. See, it's exact opposite, right? And I think it's perceptive. I mean, th this is the MO of our day. We want control. It's what we like. It's what, it's what we're about. And, you know, technology helps us. It, it actually makes this feel plausible. You know, for, for the last, for hundreds of years now, we've kind of lived in a technological age, which has created the illusion that we can actually control our lives, that we can control our destiny. If we just get kind of the latest, greatest smartphone, we can harness the world for our good. But it's an illusion. It's not, it's not real. And every once in a while, there's something that comes into our lives where we realize we don't, we're not in control of our lives. Well, so how does this kind of bent on control, how does this impact our faith? When I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, there was a Toyota slogan that went like this. I love what you do for me, Toyota. And the, as, as it would say that, the person would jump into the air in celebration. Why? Because Toyotas are really great cars for the person. They're, the claim was they're fun to drive, they're gas efficient, all of these things. I love what you do for me, Toyota. I think many of us are tempted to take that kind of Christianity. The Christianity, to the degree that it helps me, in my agenda, in my purpose in life, I love it. I love what you do for me, Christianity. I love what you do for me, Christ. Like, I've got my, uh, my plans, my goals, my dreams, and to the extent that Christianity can kind of fit in nicely with that and help me get there, it's great. It's Toyota Christianity. John's Gospel is all over this bad form of Christianity. We haven't really talked about it yet, but he's addressed it subtly 
And we're going we're gonna to consider it this morning. Because for John, in his gospel, he says, it is possible, it's possible for us to approach Jesus like a genie in a lamp. Rub the little lamp, out pops Jesus, what can I do for you? And we say, and we tell him what we want him to do. To take Jesus and to take the divine and conform it to our wishes, to our demands. But it's, that's not how it works. It's the, it's the reverse, right? We get conformed to his image, his demand. That's, that's what John, John is trying to prevent us from taking Jesus and conforming him to the way we think he ought to be. Okay? So that's what we're going to see in this text this morning. He's back in Cana, Jesus, verse 46. We see that he's back in Cana. Now you'll remember, he's been in Cana before his first miracle happened in Cana. Do you remember what it was? He turned the, the water into wine. And that was an important miracle because it gave us insight into what his kingdom is like. Jesus' kingdom is one. So a little review real quick. Turns the water into wine. A wedding feast. Big deal in the ancient world. These are the, like, kind of the pinnacle of, of, of life in the ancient world. These wedding feasts. The party is, is quickly falling flat because it's run out of wine. And it's not even that long into the party. Which is re- weeping all sorts of dishonor upon the, the, the couple and the hosts. And all, everything's about to just sort of unravel at this party. And what does Jesus do? He pulls it all back together. And not only does he do that, but he provides an ever-deepening, ever-increasing joy in the party. Because the wine just keeps getting better and better and better. Remember the MC? I've never been to a wedding party like this. It just keeps getting better. And Jesus is saying, look, this is life in my kingdom. The parties of this world deteriorate. They fall flat. But life in my kingdom is marked by ever-increasing, ever-deepening joy. So that's the first miracle in Cana. This miracle is a little bit different. Because we've got a, a person, a, son, a child, on the brink of death. And an official, probably a, a soldier, comes to Jesus to have his son healed. And look at what Jesus says in verse 48. It's actually reminiscent of what happened at, at the wedding feast. Remember Mary, his mother, said, can you help us with the wine situation? He says, he, he says no. At first, it's not my hour. I I can't do that. Well, look at what he says in verse 48 here, when when the soldier comes. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The you there is plural. So Jesus is talking not just to the soldier, the official that, that wants his son healed, but he's also talking to the whole crowd. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, this is, int- this is perplexing. This is very perplexing. Why, why does he say this? John's, John says the purpose of his gospel, John chapter 20. You can flip over there if you like. John chapter 20, verse 30. John, the gospel writer says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But Jesus, or I'm sorry, but these signs are written, why are the signs written? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. 
So John says, my whole purpose in writing the book is to give you the signs that Jesus did so that you would believe. And here he is saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Let's add another layer of confusion onto it. Back in John chapter 2, Jesus had just driven the people out of the temple uh, in Jerusalem. And then chapter 2, verse 23, says this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But let's get this. Verse 24, chapter 2. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. So they, they see the signs. They believe, but Jesus holds back. They don't receive Jesus. He doesn't entrust himself to them. What's going on? This is confusing. Confusing. It seems like an outright contradiction. What John is saying, John the gospel writer in all of this, is that there is a type of believing in Jesus that is not authentic belief. It's not authentic faith in Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a Toyota faith. Jesus, I love what you do for me. And I think this is, a, this is a type of faith that we are very susceptible to because of our penchant for control. Remember, that's our MO. We want to control things. It's very tempting for us to come to Jesus with the motivation to control Jesus, to get him to do what we think he ought to do. Jesus, I'll believe in you, but you need to do a few things for me first. I believe in you, Jesus, because I've got, a, I got an okay life going, and I think you can refine a few things in my life and kind of get me to the next level. Boost me a bit. I be, I'll believe in you, Jesus, because I think you can help me a bit. You can serve my agenda in this world. It's looking at Jesus not as Lord, but as genie. As genie. And we Jesus lamp and out comes Jesus. Serve us. There are entire Christian movements based on, based on this view. Jesus, we will believe in you if you provide me with a private jet or a plush portfolio or the latest, greatest luxury car or whatever it is, this, this kind of health and wealth prosperity gospel. Right? It's built on that. Jesus as genie. And it's, it's heretical. It's not, it's not Christianity. It's leading many astray. But even within, within our circle, within this church, there's the temptation to do something similar. We hurry to Jesus in a crisis and say, Jesus, if you just fill in the blank, if you just fix this, then I will devote myself to you. If you just heal my family member who's terminally ill, then I will devote myself to you. Then I will entrust myself to your care. Right? If you just give me the job of my dreams, or the boy of my dreams, or the girl of my dreams, or whatever it is, then I will really devote myself to you. Then I can fully entrust you. Entrust myself to you. And that demand is faulty. Because Jesus is not 
and this is John's point. John's been very clear on this. Jesus is not a genie. He is God. We don't come to God expecting him to sort of bend to us. We bend to him. That's how it works. Leslie Newbegin puts it like this. He says this demand for signs and wonders that you see show up in John's gospel, it's not a response to God as he actually reveals himself, for God's revelation may completely contravene our predetermined view of what God must be and do. It's a projection of our imagination. The demand for signs and wonders is a project. I think God should be this way. Therefore, Jesus, you must do this to fit into my mold of how you ought to be. It's idolatrous. It, it, I mean, it's what idolatry is, right? Whittling a God, making, compressing the divine into an image of our imagination. A little person like us. Conforming Jesus to us and not the other way around. So the official, the soldier who comes to Jesus, he sees Jesus as a fix to an immediate need that he has. And it's a very legitimate need, right? His son is about, is about to die. And, he, and the official says to Jesus, verse 49, Sir, come down before my son dies. And the Greek that he uses there is, um, it, it's like my little boy, my precious little child. I mean, he's conveying his love for his son as he approaches Jesus and gives him this, this command. This man is desperate, but he's not coming to Jesus rightly. He gives Jesus a command. This is how you need to, this is what you need to do. And Jesus responds with a command. Look at what he says, verse 50. Go, your son lives. You see the compassion that Jesus has? He heals him. But he heals him in exactly the kind of way that this man and the crowds need to see Jesus heal a person remotely, right? I mean, Jesus could have said, okay, come on, bring your, you bring your son and I'll, I'll bring the fireworks, baby. I'm going to put on a show. I am going to wave my wand and you're going to see, you're going to see incredible things. But that's not what he says. He says, go, your son is healed. He asks the soldier to rely on faith, faith in what he can't see. The people demand signs, but Jesus in this episode gives not a sign, but his word. Verse 50, and the man believes in it. The official believes. Now, how does that belief come? Is it deduced intellectually? Is, is it? No, it's a gift. It comes as a gift. It's received. That's how it comes. It's not deduced. Jesus, do for me what I think you must do. Like give me a spouse or give me a four-bedroom home or give me uh, whatever it is. And then I'll believe. No, it's a gift of God. Belief, the, the, the faith of this man arrives as gift. It comes from the Spirit. Now, why is the demand for signs so problematic that we've seen here in this gospel, in this instance particularly, but elsewhere? this demand for signs. Why is it so problematic? Because it is belief on our terms. It's demanding belief on our terms. For the official, Jesus was 
thought of as a tool, a genie that, Jesus, that he could use. And yet, the compassion of Jesus, Jesus still gives himself to this man. Even though he came not in the right way to Jesus, Jesus still gives his healing and he gives him the faith that will give him not just life, but life eternal. Him and his household beliefs, as, as we see in verse 53. Faith, so the soldier, he walks home. It's, a, it's an overnight walk, journey home. He gets home. He corroborates the timing with his servants and realizes that at the very moment that Jesus said his son would get better, that's the moment when his son improves and came back to health. And he believes and his household. This is so encouraging that Jesus is unwilling to put up with our agenda. And he says, nope, I'm going to scrap your agenda and I'm going to give you an agenda that goes beyond your wildest dreams. You can't imagine what I have in store for you. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis again, he, he, says our, he says, you know, God doesn't think our desires too, uh, too strong, but too weak. They're too weak. He says, we're content making mud pies when God is offering us a holiday at the beach, a feast. Remember what his kingdom is like? It's a wedding. It's a feast marked by ever-increasing, ever-deepening joy. That's what Jesus' kingdom is about. That's what he wants to provide. And when we come with him with, hey, Jesus, will you give me a new mud pie? We, we, totally, we totally miss it. We miss the, miss the excellency of, of his kingdom. And here's the thing. We find ourselves in the exact same position as this official in this story, as this soldier. We stand between the promises of God as revealed in the Word of God and the full realization of those promises. We're like this man, this soldier, walking home. You know he had varying degrees of faith on the way home. He probably left pretty confident. Yes, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, he healed my son. He's alive. He's, he's back. And then he sat under the starlit sky. He probably wondered, is it really true? Did Jesus really heal my son? And so it's his faith in these promises ebbing and flowing, ebbing and flowing. And he's making that walk home. Only to find that the word of Jesus is trustworthy after all. That his son was brought back to life remotely. This is the walk of faith, right? We stand between the promises of God and the future realization of those promises. And it's a difficult, trying space to be in. Jesus, you've said that, that in you is life. That's the promise. And yet, I've been diagnosed with a terminal disease, or my loved one has been diagnosed with a terminal disease. How, do, how does that work? Jesus, you've said that you'll always be with me, and yet I'm so dang lonely all the time. What gives? You've said that you are truth, and that you will make me into your image, that you will make me truth, you will make me integrated, whole, complete, and yet I feel as though my soul is a bundle of contradictions. My desires are pulling me away from you to you. It's, it's just a, I'm a bundle of contradictions. How does that work? Well, every once in a while, um, 
I hope this isn't bothering people too much. It's very wobbly this morning. We'll have to do some work on our little pulpit here. Um, so every once in a while, we get together with uh, some pastors in the area that are in our denomination. And about a year ago, I remember talking to one who was discouraged. And he, he, was, he was saying, you know, my whole job is to get people to believe that the things they can't see are sweeter than the things they can. In this particular instance, it was that, that the promises of God are sweeter than the attractive woman that lives a couple houses down from him. Right? That the things we can't see are sweeter than the things we can. And that's really all we're doing every week. It's trying to bolster our belief in the promises of Christ in his word. And it's difficult. It's difficult for us. We've got this tendency where we want to control. We want to control things. And if that's our, if that's our default position is that like I control my life, it makes us really hard. We don't like the tension of the walk home. We don't want to trust God. We find it difficult. In fact, it's impossible apart from a supernatural work of God. It's impossible. But the walk of faith is slow going. It's lonely. We wonder what God is doing. We find it difficult to trust His Word. The Christian life is filled with mystery. We don't always understand what's going on, what's happening. There's moments where it appears that God is not there. You know, the whole book of Esther, incredible story. Uh, story of the Bible, the story of Esther, there's no mention of God in that, in that whole book. You know, kind of the question is, what's it doing in there? No mention of God? But here's, that's, the, that's precisely the point of the book of Esther. Because in it, we see God working through all of these circumstances and coincidences and waking people up in the middle of the night and driving people to make these decisions and everything. He's just orchestrating all of these details in this unbelievable what unbelievable way all for the benefit of his people and that's the point you don't always see God at work in your life but he's always there that's his promise he's always there he's always working on behalf of his people that's the promise of God whatever the circumstance is see we want to see the dazzle we want to see the wave of the wand we want to see the fireworks show the instant uh, fix of whatever the problem is that's what we desire. Now, the question is, well, why is Jesus so insistent on us coming to him on his terms and not on our terms? Wanting us to come to him, willing to submit ourselves to his will, not have him submit to our will. It's for our good. It, it really is for our good. You've probably seen Aladdin or read the story or it, well, any, any story that involves a genie and a lamp. You know that's going to go bad for Aladdin or for whoever has the lamp. We can see it. Oh, great. You know, you think you got three wishes, anything you want. It's almost like, well, how is this going to go badly? How is this just going to go off the rails? Because we can't handle that kind of power. We don't know what we want. Our demands, our wishes evolve. They contradict. They have, there's all sorts of problems bound up in them. And so it's a mercy that Jesus refuses to 
receive us when we come to him with our demands, our wish list, our you do this for me. It's, it's a grace to us that he doesn't receive us in that way. But if we come to him, desires of his lordship and kingship in our lives, then he gets to do what he wants with us. And it's always good. Remember what John said in the prologue? He's life. He's light. He's the way. He's truth. He's all of those things fully embodied in a single human. Think of, think of the 10 greatest moments in your life. The 10 like best moments of your life. The moments where you felt most alive. Most... Um, most as though your life was on the right path. Like the trajectory of your life just felt like it was only up. Those moments. Think of a moment where you felt um, truth. You felt like you were, you felt, you felt light. You felt like pure, as though you were in the light. Think of those moments. Those moments are just a little match strike compared to what Jesus is offering, which is himself. He's offering all life. All life that we see in this world is bound in him. It's ours in Christ. And so what Jesus, if those are little match strikes, those little moments in our lives, Jesus is like the sun and it never fades. It never weakens. It's enough. It has all this power that's unleashed in our lives. That's Jesus. That's what he's inviting us to. And if we want Jesus on our terms, we're, we're wanting just like a little match strike, a little flame comes and it disappears. Jesus is saying, that's not enough. You, you, if you want me, you need all of me. And I set the terms for this relationship, but know this, the terms are for your benefit. It's like a wedding feast that only gets better. That's what my promises are. That's where I'm taking you. But it's going to be a long journey. There may be doubts. You got to trust my word. You got to believe in my word. So, Genie Jesus is an instant solution. We want a genie Jesus. What we want is an instant solution to an immediate need. And what Lord Jesus provides us is an eternal solution to needs we don't even realize we have. Lord Jesus provides us with, a, with an eternal solution to needs we don't even realize that we have. And the means by which He gets them Right, okay, remember Newbegin, the quote we just said? He said, the problem with the demand for signs is, is saying, Jesus, I've got an idea of who you are. Fit that idea. You do what I'm asking you to do. But what does Jesus do? What is the, 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 the key work that John is moving to? His moment of glory, his hour. What is it? It's his death on the cross. When life itself was put to death so that we might have life. We never would have guessed that. Genie Jesus would have never done that. We never would have asked for that. How could we have known to ask for that? We don't think that that's the fundamental problem. But Lord Jesus knows it. And what that means is, King Jesus, Lord Jesus, He's, he's a generous King. He's a generous Lord. He's, his key moment, His moment of glory is when He's pouring Himself out for us. For our good. And even though we come to him oftentimes as genie, he still gives us himself. And we, in faith and repentance, say, I'm, forgive me, Lord, 
for making you a genie in my heart. Help me to submit to your lordship, to your kingship. And we keep doing that. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. And he will bring us to all of his sweet promises. He will bring us to the wedding feast. It's his promise. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that you do not just sort of refine our wishes and demands and, and thoughts on how uh, our life should go, but that you scrap it all together and you give us uh, what is best with your eternal wisdom and eternal power driving, uh, driving our lives. You, you give us what is best and you promise our good. You promise a glory that is so weighty that it's difficult for us to bear. And we look forward to uh, the moment when our faith becomes sight, when, you, when the word that you have given us becomes um, a reality. In the meantime, strengthen us on this journey of faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.